If you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'd like to look at verse 58 for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it's a verse that I've kind of adopted as one of my life's verses for me specifically. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'm reading from a modified King James Bible, but recognize that he says, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, uh, having been in the ministry uh, many years now and having been a Christian uh, for uh, many more, I have recognized, have come to see, for pastors particularly, but also for everyone included, that one of Satan's greatest tools against the Christian is discouragement. Just to discourage you. You're wasting your time. It's all not that important. You haven't accomplished much, have you? Guess I haven't. You might as well quit, huh? Yeah, I probably should. That's one of the greatest tools Satan has. But we have something more important than that. I want you to notice, first of all, the therefore at the beginning of the verse. Therefore. Now, when you see a therefore in the scriptures, you should ask, what's it there for? Why? Therefore, because of the previous statements. Because of something I've already said. Be steadfast, unmovable. You see, it's because of something, and that because of is the context of the of setting. The context always determines the interpretation of a passage. I will have that printed. Yes, I want that on my grave, okay? I know there's not much room. Maybe in the corner there, over in the corner. With all the wonderful things said about me over in the corner. The context always determines the interpretation. And so in context, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 15. I'm so thankful that our brother read that this morning. But we want to see in context, why? Why, Lord? Why can I be steadfast and unmovable? Well, the whole context will tell us that. So I want you to buckle yourself in. We have to go through 50 verses here before we get to our context. But head back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Paul gives the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This is our assurance. This is our blessedness. This is our rock. This is our, uh, our solid footing in which we stand, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless you believe something else. If you believe something else, there's no hope for you. The only hope is fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of the, our, our, our great salvation. And so Paul lays out that gospel for us. He says, unless you have believed in vain. Now, what was the gospel? Will you recognize the infallible proof of the truth of the word of God is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? That's the seal, if you would. That, that's the fixed object that we can hang on to, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This resurrection uh, shows that he rose again the third day, according uh, to the scriptures. And there were many infallible proofs. Notice in verse 5, he was seen of Cephas, that was Peter, and then of the twelve, and after he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this day. One may have hallucinated, two may have collaborated, 
But 500 was definite resurrection, you see. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And then lastly, Paul says he was seen of me, born out of due time. So apparently, quite apparently, and we've seen this in our study in the book of Acts on Monday nights, that Paul was literally and physically and, and bodily taught by the Lord Jesus Christ somewhere in the Arabian desert. Imagine that for a three-year period of time, Paul sat with the Lord Jesus face-to-face, -face, apparently, and he was taught by him. So recognize that Paul is referencing all the way back that Christ is risen from the dead. And he is the one that whom we look to. Now look at verse 12 with me, please. We're looking at this in context. There were some scoffers who were saying that Christ did not rise from the dead. And, you know, we live among people today who say there was no resurrection. There is no resurrection. Uh, some people have all kinds of weird stuff, you know. You're, oh, yes, you, well, you're raised from the dead, and then you go and spook around and haunt some house somewhere, you know. And there's actually odd people that look for ghosts. It's on TV. I, I, this is the oddest thing to me. The odd of the people, the people who watch the thing, you know. I don't understand it exactly. But now, now the scoffers, he said, now if Christ be preached that he rose not from the dead, how say that he rose from the dead, rather, how say some of you there's no resurrection from the dead? What, what are you doing? Unsaved people say that. What are you doing, Corinthians? Why are you saying that? Because if Christ is not risen from the dead and uh, gone into the Father in heaven, then your faith is vain. Look at verse 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he's raised up Christ from the dead, uh, whom he raised not up, if that be true, if so be that Christ is not risen. So if the dead don't rise and Christ isn't risen, we are, of most people, uh, most miserable. Look, if you would, at verse 16. For if the dead rise up, uh, raise not up, then Christ is not risen. If there's no resurrection, we are hopeless. Verse 19, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are all, of all men most uh, miserable. God raised up the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. That's infallible proof of the validity of the scriptures, of the validity of our salvation. Christ is risen from the dead. Look at verse 20, if you would. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. When you look through the synoptics and look through the epistles and look at this resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's very interesting. Dr. Luke wrote to a Roman official, apparently, in Acts chapter 1. He says, Christ presented himself alive, risen after his crucifixion, by many infallible proofs being seen by his disciples. We uh, read that in the book of Acts. In 1 Corinthians, we read 500 at one time. All of the disciples, including the 11, for 40 days after he rose from the dead, for 40 days, he taught them concerning his kingdom plan. So he walked around the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, before his ascension, and he taught the word of God. And what did he teach? He taught uh, his plan for future resurrections for his children. He gave his plan for future resurrections for his children. Our physical father, look at verse 21 for a moment, please. For since by one man cometh death, by one, or literally by one man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even as in Christ shall all be made alive. We, of course, are part of our physical father, Adam. 
the first man. Adam transferred to us an inherent fallen nature and a corruptible body, a body with limited length of days. No matter how hard you try, there's a number that you're going to come to. Younger, older, there's still a number. The Lord Jesus Christ came to give us eternal life in him, that is, eternal life in him spiritually speaking, but also a glorified body physically speaking. It's all part of the same text. And so you and I are born again. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. We have faith and will be given a glorified body. But right now, we're still walking around in this physical, limited body. And so what comes with that? Well, sickness, disease, discouragement, weakness, certain days of health, for sure, and we're thankful for those. But recognize that one day, we will be like him. We read that in Philippians chapter 2. I won't have you turn there. He said, he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the likeness of men and became obedient unto death, even the substitutionary death of the cross. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, John said, but have everlasting life. That's not only spiritually speaking, but it will be physically speaking with a changed body. He came as the second Adam. I won't have you turn there, but in first, well, why don't you look over at verse 45, same book, same chapter, 1545. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, was made a life-giving spirit. We're bearing the fruit of the first Adam externally. But in Christ, we bear the fruit of the second Adam. In Christ, we're made alive. And that's what God's looking for us to do, to walk in him. Why? Everything's going to change, you see. Everything's going to change. And so when we uh, look at this section together, I want us to recognize that there's a program for these resurrections. Back with me to verse 23. That 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But every man in his own order. You see, there's an order to resurrections. There's an order to, not everyone's going to get a glorified body all at the same time. God has a, has a program here, a purpose here. Say, well, I didn't know that. Well, hang on, then you'll learn something. And if you did know it, I just want to reassure you in this. It's, it's every man in his own order. There are different time periods for different resurrections. And I want to just show you very, very briefly. First of all, realize that the whole process begins with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's so important to realize. And I'm, of course you do. We sing a popular song on uh, Resurrection Sunday. And you know it, Christ the Rose. Isn't that a great song? However, the song can be very misleading unless you know the scriptures. Let me, let me give you. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. Waiting the coming day? Was he just laying there? Looking at his Timex watch with indigo? <laughs> was, that, was that what was going on? No. Our, our Savior was very busy. When he dismissed the spirit, you recall on Calvary's cross, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished, 
Father, into thy hand I commit my spirit, and the spirit left his body on the cross. Peter tells us very, very plainly what happened. Peter says, by the Holy Spirit, and I won't have you turn there, but in 1 Peter chapter 3, by the Holy Spirit, he went and preached to those that were in the graves. He went to Luke chapter 16, Abraham's bosom, where Abraham was and all the Old Testament saints who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. They were all stationed there. Why? They couldn't enter the kingdom of heaven yet. Why? Christ had to come. Christ had to come. He had to be the first fruits of those who rose from the dead. So there they are in this place called paradise. Now when our Lord Jesus uh, went down there, he proclaimed, he preached. What did he proclaim? He proclaimed himself as the Messiah. I am the one that you waited for, that you believed in, and that you sacrificed to. I'm the one. I'm the one. And across a great gulf was fixed, we read in Luke chapter 16, and those people on this side of the gulf uh, the rich man and all those in hell were in torment in a fire. So there's paradise and there's hell. When our Lord Jesus rose from the dead, it, we read in, in, uh, first, in Ephesians chapter 4, he led captivity captive. He took those people that were in this place, hell, I mean paradise, and hell will be dealt with later. The people that were in power, he took them to glory with him, but he did not give them resurrected bodies. Those were Old Testament saints, not New Testament believers. They did not get a resurrected body. They have some kind of interim uh, body, a temporary body. We do not know exactly what that's all about, but the scriptures are very plain. The Old Testament people who, are then, who were then deceased that he took to glory with him, they're going to get a resurrected body. It's going to happen. When will it happen? It will happen when he establishes millennial kingdom here on earth. A thousand year period of time in which Christ will rule and reign on the earth. Ezekiel talks about that very plainly. Ezekiel even lays out a beautiful a temple that will be built. Gives room sizes, square feet, everything else. The rivers, he talks about it gloriously. So doesn't the book of Isaiah. About a thousand year period of time in which Christ will rule and reign here on this earth. And just prior to that, just prior to his ruling and reigning here on earth, he will give, as, as he comes down to earth, he will give Old Testament saints a glorified body. That's according to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and of course the book of the Revelation chapter 20. They will receive the glorified body. Why? Because they are going to receive their kingdom that God has promised to them in Old Testament times. Back with me to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment, please. Back with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, 15. Look at verse 20 again, please. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He was, the, he was not the first Old Testament person raised from the dead, was he? No, no, there were many, many raised from the dead. But those poor brothers and sisters that were raised from the dead had to die again. I would hate that, wouldn't you? You're finally dead. It's finally over. You start to enter to the presence of the Lord. Wait! Back again. You had to die again. Why? Because they could not ascend unto glory except our Lord Jesus Christ being the first. Now, it's interesting as you look at this whole text and uh, look at verse, uh, well, we're in verse, where are we? 
Look at verse 24. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. Then come at the end. So God has his program marching forward for us. And what is it all about? How, what is it going to be like? Well, John said something very interesting. He said, we do not completely understand what the glorified body will be like, but we know this. When we see him, we will be like him. What is a glorified body like? Well, it's the same as now, only different. I mean, that's the best the apostles could come up with. It's the same as now, only it will be different. It was recognizable to his disciples. And yet, it bore the scars of his crucifixion. Now, I don't, do, not, do not know if we will bear our scars. I had my knees replaced. I have two giant scars. I look like a tuna fish, you know. My two giant scars. Will I still have those in glory? I don't know. I, I don't know, but I know this. It'll be a wonderful body, and the scars will be unimportant. Unimportant at all. Recognize he, he had scars. He ate with his disciple. Further than that, he cooked the meal, according to John 21. He cooked the meal. So ladies, you can still cook in glory. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> you probably won't have to, but you can. So recognize that in his glorified body, our Lord Jesus Christ exhibited what we will be like. We will be like him. But you know, even the pagans believe some of that. Look with me, please, at verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 20, 15. He said, if, if the dead don't rise up, else what shall they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead raise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Cults used to baptize people for the dead. Why? So they'd be better off in the resurrection. There's all kinds of religion out there. A Mormons today baptize people for the dead. It's a cult. They do not trust Jesus Christ as their savior. They're not going to heaven. They're unsaved. They're, they're, they do not have eternal life. Why? Because they believe they can do these things. But what's interesting is this goes all the way back in the days of the pharaohs, does it not? Even further than that. When a pharaoh would die, they would kill a bunch of slaves and put them in the grave with them. They would kill his horses and put them in the grave with them. They, they put in uh, boats and wheat and they put in foods in the grave with them. Why? Because in the resurrection, see, not the Lord Jesus Christ, but they believe the life hereafter, he'll have a few slaves to deal with. In some cases, they killed his wife and, and, and put her in the grave with them so that she'd be present when he woke for this afterlife. I'll bet you those ladies took good care of their husbands, don't you think? You know, so. But what happened? Well, there's some people that say the, the dead do rise up, but they're cults. They're cults. And he says, if the dead don't rise, even the cults believe that. What, what's wrong with you folks as New Testament Christians? What's wrong with your uh, thinking? Well, Peter said that in the last days, scoffers will come walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Essentially, the whole Bible's a fraud. The whole Bible's a fake. Where's the promise of his coming? Why hasn't he come? If you said he's coming, uh, why, in fact, hasn't he coming? 
has he come. I can picture this in my own mind. I don't know how you can see it, but I can picture it in my own mind, a Donald Trump-type sarcasm and facial expression. How were the dead raised up? And with what body would they come? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, please. Look at verse 35. Some will say, how were the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? They're asking, well, what, what's all this about? What, what could they possibly look like? And Paul said, you are ignorant not knowing the scriptures. And anyone who questions God is ignorant not knowing the scriptures. And you know that applies to believers as well. It applies to believers as well. If you're not in the word of God, you could be very ignorant about your present circumstances and conditions and that which is going on around about you. That's why you get discouraged because you're ignorant, not applying the word of God to your life. In some cases, not knowing it because you're too lazy to read it maybe. You know, I don't know that. But it happens to all of us at times, does it not? It surely does. Paul said, I want to give you a little story here, folks, he says. But some will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? You fool. That which is sown is not made alive except it dies. He's talking about like a seed, a small seed. When it goes in the ground, that thing perishes. But out of it comes the fruit of it. You've seen it. I've seen it. One time I planted a sunflower seed. I couldn't believe it. Up came a stalk, 1,000 times bigger than the sunflower seed itself. On the head was a sunflower with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of seeds in them. Big, beautiful flower from one little seed. That seed had to die for that flower to be born. And Paul begins the process of letting them know, listen, there's all kinds of bodies out there. Verse 39, and he just lists a few. Think about it yourself, if you would. Men, fish, beasts, birds, celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies. There's all kinds of bodies out there. They're all different. They're all unique, but they're extremely complex. Why? Because God gave them a body as he designed it. God gave them a body. I think of a giraffe. I like giraffes. Some 17 feet high, some of these animals. Scientists tell us that they're one of the most unusual animals on Earth. When they bend over to take a drink of water, if they didn't have a specially designed brain, the blood rushing down their neck into their head would blow the top of their head off. It's like that commercial with the purple smoke, you know? <laughs> If that happened, there would be no more giraffes, right? But God designed a special, a very special brain for them to absorb the impact of blood coming down. A special body. You don't have that type of body. Everything has a unique body designed and built by God, complex, that we cannot explain it. But we know this about the glorified body. And here's what we know. Look at verse um, 42 talking about the glory of the, of the uh, glorified body. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. Notice this, please. Planted. Sown in corruption. It's what? Raised in incorruption. 
Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. That's enough said. Close in prayer, go home. That's what God said. There is a natural body and there is a, a spiritual body. Right now, you have Adam's body, though. And we didn't get such a great deal. Though some men, well, they think there's something. Some women, too. They like to show it off and think they're really something. My wife and I go to a gym, and at this gym, you're not supposed to grunt and groan and ah when you lift weights. You're not supposed to do that. But it's funny because there's all kinds of mirrors around this place just for guys to do that. They look at themselves. And one morning, Nancy and I were there very, very early, and I, um, I was in this little area for the kids, <laughs> in this little area, and, I'm, and there's a guy in there, and a big, sweaty-looking guy, and he was using the arm, he's going, and I thought, oh, brother, i got to get on that thing after him. <laughs> well, I went over to it. I disinfected it because he didn't... Looks so good to me, but um, I pushed the thing in, and I started looking at the guy. <laughs> he didn't move the weights at all. I mean, I just, I, he thought he was something. Listen, he's got the same body I have. His was a little better looking, but he has got the same body, a, a, a damic body, and it's going into the ground. Same body, all of us. The difference between us, as far as I could tell, I, don't, I do not know him personally, so I don't know, is I'm going to get a glorified one. I'm going to get one that's incorruptible. I'm going to get one that's raised in glory and power. I'm going to get a body that is glorious, just like his body. Okay, now, you, am I okay? We're okay, okay. So how is this all going to happen? Well. Let's move onward, please, to chapter 15 and verse 51. Behold, listen very carefully, he says. I show you a mystery. One day, the imminent return of Christ will take place here on earth. That's a, it, that is a scripture passage that has been debated through the centuries. We know this, the New Testament church looked forward to it. We won't have you go there, but in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22, the brethren used to greet with one another, Maranatha, the Lord cometh. They couldn't wait for the return of Christ. The Lord cometh, it's imminent. And you can look throughout the scriptures and you'll see the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he's coming to earth, and what's he going to do? He's going to do something mysterious, something never before revealed, it's been hinted at. For example, Enoch. Explain Enoch to me. Godly man, he walked with God and he was not for what God took him. Elisha got aboard a flaming chariot and took off. I mean, these things are just types of, 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 of the glory of God that will happen during the, the great translation of the saints of born-again believers in Christ Jesus. Someone said, well, I don't believe that. Fine, stay behind. I'm going. It's up to you what you'd like to do. 
But we recognize that the Christian will be, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, we should not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Now, a, a, a real tremendous look at this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We won't go there. There's no time to go there. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read all this, about this. We will be translated. We will be raptured as born-again believers in Christ Jesus. And what will happen? There will be a change. What kind of change will it be? Well, the scripture tells us that we'll, we will be raised incorruptible. That's when we'll be given glorified bodies, but not yet. Not yet. See, there's an order. Old Testament saints are waiting, and we're going to wait. It's going to be a little bit, but we're going to wait. Why? Because what will happen, he says, is the dead in Christ shall raise, rise, raise first. Those New Testament saints who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior will then receive their glorified body. And they'll, they'll be reunited with their soul spirit, and they will now have a body that's fitted, fitted for eternal life with him, to rule and reign with him on earth. See, we're coming back here. I know people say, when I get to heaven, that's where I'll be forever. No, it's just a stopping place. It's just a stopping place. You'll end up, believe it or not, in Jerusalem. It's called the New Jerusalem, but that's where you'll be. Why? Because that's the eternal state of all believers. God will dwell on earth with men in what's called the New Jerusalem, a magnificent, magnificent place. So what happens? Well, we look back, and uh, when this body's raised incorruptible, look at verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, will it hurt? The answer is no. Not going to hurt. A trump's going to sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And what's going to happen? For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. See, you can't get to heaven with the body you got. It won't make it. It won't make it. Just a trip alone will kill you. When God takes us from this present earth, it's going to be a, a, a glorious, marvelous event. And you're not fitted for eternal life in that body. That's why he's going to change you. This corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. And then what will happen? Verse 54. So then when the corruptible has put on incorruption and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Want me to give you the vernacular? When this all happens, you'll look back and say, what was my problem? Why did I whine and cry? Why was I so discouraged? Why am I so caught up with this thing? Why do I always get myself down? Why? Because you're in a corruptible body. And you can only gain that incorruption by faith. Believing his word. We get discouraged. Why do we get discouraged? Because we're only looking at the present. I hurt. Do you hurt? I hurt all over sometimes. They go, what's the problem with me? Corruptible. Corruptible. And as the days of my life, the shadow of my life lengthen, I can see more and more corruption, huh? I look in the mirror, there it is. I'm so glad Nancy can't see very well. I'm so glad about that. She puts on her glasses that I kind of hide a little bit. Listen, we're all corruptible, 
and we're all going the way of Adam into the grave. But see, it's not, that's not it for us. That's why while we walk, while we live in this present body, God wants us to serve him. Christ was the victor over the grave. We reign victorious in him. We're in Christ. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So by him and in him and through him, by faith, we can live on this earth and please him. But if you look at your body, you're going to get discouraged. If you look at the circumstances that affect your body, you're going to get discouraged. It happens. It happens to all of us. That's why verse 58 is there. Therefore, because of, because of the glorified body, because of that which is to come, it's not it. I told you before I know it. I had a grandmother. As a little tiny kid, she'd say, when you die, you die like a dog and you go in the grave. Oh, Bachi, why? Why would you say such a... Oh, listen, that was so traumatic, I'm 65 and still remember it. <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. Even those who reject Jesus Christ as their personal savior, at the end of the millennial kingdom, before the eternal state, will receive a glorified body, a body fitted for eternal damnation body that can feel pain, a body that will be crying out, and there will be no mercy. <clears throat> you make the choice now. You decide right now which body do you want. Paul said this, <clears throat> if we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we die unto the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. To this end, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul said he bore the scars of Jesus Christ in his body. Didn't he not say that in Galatians? I, he bore scars for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, most of us are wimps compared to the Apostle Paul. When, when I see Paul, I'm going to say, listen, I want to compare scars with you, pal. I had my knees replaced. Oh, really? Were you ever day or night in the deep? Were you ever beaten by rods beyond? Now, Paul wouldn't say that because he's too much of a man. But what do we do? We compare our illnesses, do we not? We tell people, pray, pray for me. My big toe is killing me. I mean, I'm just, you understand? Why don't we pray? God, make me a better witness. God, help me to live for you, even in this body. God, in my pain and suffering, help me to serve you in whatever way I can. Why? Because we're all caught up with the body. We're all caught up with our present condition. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 15, 15, Therefore, be ye steadfast. The word steadfast is to sit um, unmovable. Here I sit, I'm going nowhere else. This is what I believe. This is what God said I believe. Let us hold fast our profession of faith without wavering. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 
10.23. Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Unmovable is akin to steadfast. It's a cliff. It's not going to move. Remember what James said about an unstable person. A double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. You can't trust him. Why? All he cares about is this life and his body. That's all he cares about. We want people that are solid, rock solid. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's interesting. Super abounding in the work of the Lord. Listen, God has something for you to do. I can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Till you die, there's always something you can do to serve Christ. Till you die. Till you take your last breath. There's always something you can do. Remember uh, last night Paul Mangum taught uh, the adult dinner and we had just a wonderful time. And he brought us back to a portion of scripture where Jesus is talking to his Jewish disciples, and he says, I invested in you. I invested in you. I expect a return upon my return. I expect something. And what is that? It's works. He's not looking for money from us. He's looking for service. So he can say to us, behold, well done, thou good and faithful service. In Titus chapter 2, we read this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. That's in the body you now possess. What are we doing? We're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own, notice please, who are zealous to do righteous works. God wants our service. I've given my, him my body. He doesn't want your body. He's going to change it. He wants you. He doesn't want what you have. He wants you. He wants you to serve him. You say, well, my body... You can always do something to serve the Lord. You can always do something to serve him. In the book of Hebrews, we read, Now may the God of peace that brought again our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will in you, that with, uh, in which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to do every good work God wants us. He wants you to serve him. Say, well, I'm just barely making it. Listen, here's the truth. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. But what you bring with you, what you send ahead serving as king, is what makes it. This body's going to perish. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye still steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Peter, um, the writer of Hebrews said, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Service, service to the king. Are you discouraged? If you are discouraged, you're listening to the wrong voice. We read this, <clears throat> Paul was talking to the Galatians, says, you were running well. Someone hindered you that you would not obey the truth. Then he says this, 
this discouragement does not come from God. If you're discouraged, you did it, not God. He doesn't want to discourage you. He wants to encourage you to serve him in whatever way you can. We need to search the scriptures. Your labor is not in vain. If you're discouraged, when I'm discouraged, it's not the Lord. It's me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful section of scripture. Help each believer in this room this morning. When they come to a therefore, to ask what's it there for? Help them to look at the context of a chapter to recognize that you have a special message to your New Testament Christians. Father, help us to be careful to do good works and to serve you. Not in our flesh, not so someone will see them. Help us, Lord, not to get discouraged and quit. We know it's all part of satanic deception. Father, help us to walk in the spirit. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Help us, Father, to be encouraged by your word, to be lifted up, to be, uh, to be set apart for you through the scriptures by the Spirit. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the promise of a glorified body one day. Until then, thank you for opportunity to serve you in a place like this. I pray, Father, I do not know each one in this room. There may be some here that one day will receive a different body, but it will be fitted for eternal torment. It will be fitted for eternal judgment because they cared about the things of this world more than the things of Christ. I pray, Father, if that person's here this morning, that you would convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment to come that they might recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by him. Thank you, Father, for your blessing upon us as a church, for your work. Thank you for our pastor who teaches us each week, who gives us the, the word of God rightly divided in truth and in spirit. Thank you, Father, for a place we can come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.